Chapter Five of the Invasion by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Five: How the War Ended. Days passed, weary, waiting, anxious days. A whole month went by. What had really happened at sea was unknown. After the truce, London very gradually began to resume her normal life, though the gaunt state of the streets was indescribably weird. Shops began to open, and as each day passed food became more plentiful and consequently less dear. The truce meant the end of the war, therefore thanksgiving services were held in every town and village throughout the country. There were great prison camps of Germans at Hounslow, Brentwood, and Barnett, while von Kronhelm and his chief officers were also held as prisoners until some decision through diplomatic channels could be arrived at. Meanwhile a little business began to be done. Thousands began to resume their employment, bankers reopened their doors, and within a week the distress and suffering of the poor became perceptibly alleviated. The task of burying the dead after the terrible massacre of the Germans in the London streets had been a stupendous one, but so quickly had it been accomplished that an epidemic was happily averted. Parliament moved back to Westminster, and daily meetings of the Cabinet were being held in Downing Street. These resulted in the resignation of the Ministry, and with a fresh Cabinet, in which Mr. Gerald Graham, the organizer of the Defenders, was given a seat, a settlement was at last arrived at. To further describe the chaotic state of England occasioned by the terrible and bloody war would serve no purpose. The loss and suffering which it had caused the country had been incalculable. Statisticians estimated that in one month of hostilities it had amounted to five hundred million pounds, a part of which represented money transferred from British pockets to German, as the enemy had carried off some of the securities upon which the German troops had laid their hands in London. Let us for a moment take a retrospective glance. Consuls were at fifty, bread was still at one shilling sixpence per loaf, and the ravages of the German commerce destroyers had sent up the cost of insurance on British shipping sky-high. Money was almost unprocurable. Except for the manufacture of war material there was no industry, and the suffering and distress among the poor could not be exaggerated. In all directions men, women, and children had been starving. The mercantile community were loud in their outcry for peace at any price, and the pro-German and stop-the-war party were equally vehement in demanding a cessation of the war. They found excuses for the enemy, and forgot the frightful devastation and loss which the invasion had caused to the country. They insisted that the working class gained nothing, even though the British fleet was closely blockading the German coast and their outcry was strengthened when a few days after the blockade of the Elbe had begun two British battleships were so unfortunate as to strike German mines and sink with a large part of their crews. The difficulty of borrowing money for the prosecution of the war was a grave obstacle in the way of the party of action, and preyed upon the mind of the British government. Socialism, with its creed of, Thou shalt have no other god but thyself, and its doctrine, let us eat and drink, for to-morrow we die, had replaced the religious beliefs of a generation of Englishmen taught to suffer and to die sooner than surrender to wrong. In the hour of trial, amidst smoking ruins, 
among the holocausts of dead which marked the prolonged bloody and terrible battles on land and at sea the spirit of the nation quailed and there was really no great leader to recall it to ways of honor and duty the wholesale destruction of food and particularly of wheat and meat removed from the world's market a large part of its supplies and had immediately sent up the cost of food everywhere outside the united kingdom as well as in it at the same time the attacks upon shipping laden with food increased the cost of insurance to prohibitive prices upon vessels freighted for the united kingdom the underwriters after the first few captures by the enemy would not insure at all except for fabulous rates the withdrawal of all the larger british cruisers for the purpose of defeating the main german fleets in the north sea left the commerce destroyers a free hand and there was no force to meet them the british liners commissioned as commerce protectors were too few and too slow to be able to hold their adversaries in check neutral shipping was molested by the german cruisers whenever raw cotton or food of any kind was discovered upon a neutral vessel bound for british ports the vessel was seized and sent into one or other of the german harbors on the west coast of africa the united kingdom indeed might have been reduced to absolute starvation had it not been for the fact that the canadian government interfered in canada to prevent similar german tactics from succeeding and held the german contracts for the cornering of canadian wheat contrary to public policy the want of food the high price of bread and meat in england and the greatly increased cost of the supplies of raw materials sent up the expenditure upon poor relief to enormous figures millions of men were out of employment and in need of assistance mills and factories in all directions had closed down either because of the military danger from the operations of the german armies or because of the want of orders or again because raw materials were not procurable unfortunately when the invasion began many rich foreigners who had lived in england collected what portable property they possessed and retired abroad to switzerland italy and the united states their example was followed by large numbers of british subjects who had invested abroad and now in the hour of distress were able to place their securities in a handbag and withdraw them to happier countries they may justly be blamed for this one of patriotism but their reply was that they had been unjustly and mercilessly taxed by men who derided patriotism misused power and neglected the real interest of the nation in the desire to pander to the mob moreover with the income tax at three shillings sixpence in the pound and with the cost of living enormously enhanced they declared that it was a positive impossibility to live in england while into the bargain their lives were exposed to danger from the enemy as a result of this wholesale emigration in london and the country the number of empty houses inordinately increased and there were few well-to-do people left to pay the rates and taxes the fearful burden of the extravagant debts which the british municipalities had heaped up was cruelly felt since the nation had to repudiate the responsibility which it had incurred for the payment of interest on the local debts the socialist dream in fact might also be said to have been realized there were few rich left but the consequences to the poor instead of being beneficial were utterly disastrous under the pressure of public opinion constrained by hunger and financial necessities and with thousands of german prisoners in their hands 
the British government acceded to the suggested conference to secure peace. Peace was finally signed on January 13, 1911. The British Empire emerged from the conflict outwardly intact, but internally so weakened that only the most resolute reforms accomplished by the ablest and boldest statesmen could have restored it to its old position. Germany, on the other hand, emerged with an additional 21,000 miles of European territory, with an extended seaboard on the North Sea fronting the United Kingdom at Rotterdam and the Texel, and, it was calculated, with a slight pecuniary advantage. Practically the entire cost of the war had been borne by England. As is always the case, the poor suffered most. The socialists who had declared against armaments were faithless friends of those whom they professed to champion. Their dream of a golden age proved utterly delusive. But the true authors of England's misfortunes escaped blame for the moment, and the army and navy were made the scapegoats of the great catastrophe. When success did come, it came too late and could not be utilized without a great British army capable of carrying the war into the enemy's country and thus compelling a satisfactory peace. This is the end of the invasion by William LeCue. Recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's audiobooks.com.